Hey everyone, welcome to the Alternate Oscars podcast. I'm your host, Gabe Horn, and with each episode, I will invite a guest and we will run down our alternate Oscars list, celebrating our favorite films of whatever year we're discussing. We'll compare and contrast and share our thoughts on each other's list and compare them to the actual Oscars from whatever year we're covering. This first episode is not going to be the official first episode, but rather a bonus episode where I discuss some of the most notable films from Shirley MacLaine. And joining me to discuss her today will be Shells, who has done a lot of things. Um, and also at the end, we'll be talking about some Oscar predictions since that is not far off from the future. Welcome Shells. If you would like to give a sort of an introduction to yourself, to the audience. Yes, thanks for having me. I'm Chels. Most people know me as Chels725 on Twitter, and I do the Untitled Cinema Gals Project, the Community Rewatch Podcast, and Those Gals Have Moxie, which is general television, Broadway gossip, fun stuff. Thanks for having me. Um, You're welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on, and all of what you described sounds incredibly exciting. It um, is. We have a lot of stuff coming up soon, so stay tuned. Yeah. So, um, um, discussing Shirley MacLaine is an idea that I've had for quite a while. Um, when I had my first idea for a podcast, obviously, um, the idea for that podcast has changed, but I decided I still want to go forward with this, um, concept. So, um, just discussing Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, so she's pretty cool. Yeah. Kind of does fit in your theme because she has a big history with Oscar and there is so many different alternate histories she could have taken. <laughs> Certainly. Um, I always wonder why she didn't win for the Children's Hour, which is a great performance in a very underrated movie, in my opinion. Oh, it's a beautiful film. It's one of my favorites. I am a noted Audrey Hepburn stan. I did a whole episode of the mixed reviews for it. And so The Children's Hour is just one of my favorite films of all time. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I especially like um, the sort of contrast in the characters that um, Audrey and Shirley play and how that culminates near the end. Just how Martha confesses her love for Karen, but Karen seemingly doesn't feel the same way. And it's a really sad moment in the movie. It is. It's a little sad. Um, the film is about these two school teachers. They've been friends since college. They open this girl's school together. And the whole thrust of the film is one of the girls, the spoiled child, doesn't want to do any of the work. She keeps getting in trouble. Like, electric chair to this child. She's the worst. Yes. <laughs> but, she, but such great casting. And she lies to her grandmother that the two teachers, Audrey Hepburn and Shirley MacLaine's characters are lesbians and are having an affair. And so that's what the lie that kind of spins off 
and throughout the film I mean spoilers for a very like a 60 year old film that has been around for a long time since the 30s the story too much about that yeah it's um Basically, it spirals out to where Shirley MacLaine's character realizes she is a queer woman, and then I'm not going to spoil the whole ending and stuff, but I think it's a beautiful film, and it makes sense for the era how it goes forward, just because of ideas and politics and how queer people were viewed. I think the Audrey Hepburn character has a lot of She's not like a villain or anything when she finds out that um, Shirley MacLaine's character has feelings for her. It's more just like a sadness because that's her friend suffering through something that is not accepted in that time. And she still wants to be friends and they just want to move away and go do like start over with their life. But it is just it's a beautiful little heartbreaking story. I know some people might take issue with the ending but i think it's realistic and i think it's good um yeah i do agree with a lot of those sentiments um now that you mention it i wonder if martha had um if she had issues outside of just struggling with her sexuality trying to keep that hidden it um just it's something I wonder about the way I saw it was basically like I think a lot of queer people will understand that like you never understand the feelings and sometimes it's when somebody else asks you about it like I myself am a queer person and I never really thought about that as a thing until people ask me are you gay are you lesbian and it's one of those realizations of like huh someone puts the idea in your head and it gives you the realization so I think that's what Shirley MacLaine's character kind of went through or at least that's how I understood it like she didn't really have the realization until somebody brought it up and kind of pegged her I definitely got that from the story. Um, the line, they found the lie with the house of truth. It's almost poetic in a way. And that confession scene is probably the best moment of acting for Shirley. Oh, it's, it's so good. I I adore that whole, the whole sequence of it. I think it's very well shot very well directed it is a William Wyler film and it's really just a whole radical thing for its time because he's kind of known for bigger like bigger flashier movies and this is a very small thing based off of a play and it's a film that he'd made once but because of the Hayes Code and stuff in the 30s he had to like change up things and then he got to remake it himself so he got to do a little bit more even though there were some censor issues. Yeah, I've watched both versions, and you can tell um, not just how different they are on the surface, but where the Hayes Code really neutered the original. It did, and I think I, I, know, I don't really blame the director or Lillian Hellman, who uh, adapted her play for the original one. 
Um, I think they just had to work within the confines of their time, and I don't think they had any ill will or anything about it, but I think they did their best with the situation they were in. But I am, I'm glad they were, he was able to remake it into something that had a little bit more bite and is a, it's a little more thoughtful. It definitely, definitely. Um, so, um, if we want to go back to um, actually her first film, Shirley MacLaine's first film, The Truth About Harry. Um, yes. So what's your history with this film? I actually watched it um, um, a year ago on my um, on YouTube because it was available on YouTube. And I, all I knew about this film is that it was um, a sort of obscure film from Alfred Hitchcock. But um, I was pleasantly surprised by the direction it took. I, um, I sort of um, had sort of an envisionment in my mind of how it would play out. But I guess because of that, it surprised me with the different path it took mm -hmm. and no, I understand that because I think whenever you see Hitchcock as a director you're expecting like even though this came after the fact like Psycho or Rebecca or like one of those kind of tones where there's a lot more suspense and this one's a little like lighter in tone it's not as like scary in many ways it's a lot funnier and I think it's it's an all right film I think she'd does her assignments pretty well. I do think um, the most notable thing about her performance here is um, how understated it, uh, how understated she is. But yeah, I think it's a very good performance from her, and I think it's a good indicator of what was to come later in her career. I would agree. It shows like. Like, imagine your first film being with Alfred Hitchcock. That's pretty rad. Yeah. yeah. It is. Um, it must be pretty cool. Um, just mm -hmm. starting out your film career with Alfred Hitchcock. And beyond that, I do think this movie is incredibly well shot. Beautiful cinematography. And I do enjoy the character dynamics quite a bit. Oh, yeah. If there's one thing he's good at, it's, like, crafting characters, even if you're not 100% sold on the story. Yeah. As someone who um, actually hasn't watched that many Hitchcock movies, believe it or not, um, I think it'll be interesting to see how this differentiates from the rest of his filmography. It really does kind of stand apart from the rest of it because he's such a specific filmmaker, but it's, it's like not a bad film. It's a good time. I would still recommend it for people, even though it's not his normal thing. Yeah, I would agree. It is, in my opinion, still a very good film. Um, so next I want to talk about Some Came Running. Yes, Vincent Minnelli. 
again, another director that um, whom I have a blind spot on, whom I need to see more of his films, but I really enjoyed this movie. Um, again, um, this is a melodrama mm-hmm. where Frank Sinatra's character returns to his Midwestern home and meets new characters as well as his brother with whom he has a difficult relationship. They don't like each other that much. One of those um, new faces he meets is Ginny, um, Shirley's character. Mm-hmm. And again, what I like about um, McLean's performance is the sort of nuance she brings to Ginny or she could have just been sort of a disposable love interest to Dave Hirsch, but mm-hmm. instead of just that, um, McLean makes her just this lonely person who is desperate for some direction in her life. And basically decides that Dave will give her the sort of direction that she needs, even if we're skeptical of that based on um, the sort of character that Dave Hirsch is, as is presented in the film. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty meaty role, considering like her co-stars are Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, and she has to share a lot of screen time with a lot of pretty like big popular names but I do like that she is able to navigate this and be a pretty sympathetic character it's not normally a film I like so much these melodramas where things happen like bad things happen to women in the end but um I don't know it's still it's still worth the watch for the performances I understand why she was nominated among that lineup um, I still say Susan Hayward is the best, but Shirley's up there as well. Um, if I want to just talk more about the film, I do think it um does a good job at a uh, job at navigating um the situation, the drama that it presents. It's also gorgeous to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Elmer Bernstein's score. Yeah. No, I would I would definitely have voted for Susan Hayward that year. I think I Want to Live is one of like my more underrated best actress wins. It's one of my little favorite ones, even though it's a really stacked category that year. Like any of them would have been really good wins because you have Elizabeth Taylor for Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I I adore Rosalind Russell and Deborah Carr. I think they again a beautiful stacked year. So Surely would have been a good win, but I think the correct person won. Yeah, doesn't deserve this one. Yeah, not that one. I Want to Live is um, another underrated movie. It's um, so good. And one that actually holds up. Yeah, I definitely agree about the holding up part. It's just such an incredibly well-crafted, down-the-line noir crime thriller 
I would agree. But yeah. But if you want to talk alternate Oscar history, if Elizabeth Taylor had won for Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, then maybe Shirley MacLaine would have won for The Apartment. Because we would... Because... The Apartment is the year that most people think Shirley MacLaine should have won her Oscar, but Elizabeth Taylor won for Butterfield 8, which is not a very good film. (laughs) And, yeah, Butterfield 8's bad. (laughs) Elizabeth Taylor's bad in it. Um, I could state the, I could make obvious criticisms about Butterfield 8. Um, How... First off, it's hypocritical. Yeah. While also letting the male characters get away with some awful behavior. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a horrible film for women. It felt like they were punishing Elizabeth Taylor for her affair, like in real life. There's a whole Be Kind Rewind video about it. But then Elizabeth yeah. Taylor, she only really wins because she had a health scare and everyone was worried she would die without winning an Oscar. Yeah, I know about so, that. It's very unfortunate considering you have Shirley MacLaine giving one of those like one of those really great young ingenue performances that like people are still talking about the apartment today and that performance and how incredible it is and just the sexual politics of that film were amazing and then you also have Deborah Carr for like the sundowners who also would have been a much better win than Elizabeth Taylor but I don't know this is it's definitely the the apartment is a beautiful film I rewatched it and just it was the warm bath of a film I love it it's perfect in every way and it would have been just such a good win almost like you get Julia Roberts winning for a movie star role. Shirley MacLaine, she was like a movie star in the apartment. I definitely agree. This, in my opinion, this is the sort of film from what I, um, I've um seen of her. This is the sort of role that um kind of elevated MacLaine's career to a whole other level. And... What I love about her part is that you can sense the internalized emotions. Again, more loneliness, more sadness, another almost tragic character. For sure. And it is technically a romantic comedy, but it has so much sadness, like you mentioned, and just a lot of, I don't know, I like a lot of sad emotions that feel real. In my romantic comedies, I like when real people are struggling with real things. And unlike Elizabeth Taylor and Butterfield 8, Shirley MacLaine is the other woman in the relationship with, like, a superior. And she's not demonized for it. Like, you are rooting for her and you're hoping for the best for her that she ends up happy. And unlike Elizabeth Taylor, it's like, oh... The, just the wrong things were done in history. She should have won for the apartment. If we're going to talk about um, alternate history, um, Jean Simmons should have been nominated. I may have given her the win, but it's a real toss-up between her and Shirley for me and my personal ballot. Jean Simmons from Organtry. 
That is fair. Gene Simmons should have definitely been nominated and like in the running. She's again another one of those unsung wonderful actresses. I feel like more people need to go check out her stuff, but she's incredible in Elmer Gantry and again would have been better than Elizabeth Taylor. And I love Elizabeth yeah. Taylor. I think her other win, her second win is one of the best Oscar wins of all time. But just 1960, it just hurts my heart. Yeah. Um it's one of those wins. First off, it's not a good look for the Academy. And it's if you want to uh, if you want to make Elizabeth Taylor a two-time winner, this was just not the way to do it. Exactly. Like you could have gone cat on a hot tin roof and Virginia Wolf, and you would have had like two of the best wins of all time. I think she's incredible yeah. in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And like yeah. she wasn't even, this is not an Elizabeth Taylor episode, but she should have been nominated for Giant, one of my favorite movies. But no. Um, haven't seen, admittedly, there are a lot of movies I haven't seen. And um, the two movies she did with George Stevens um, are among them. But I'm excited to see them. Don't worry. It's basically like a long television miniseries, Giant. You can literally just pause it. It's three and a half hours long. I notoriously hate long movies, but I watched it. Like, you can break it up and watch it like a television show just because of how much time it spans. But it is one of the... It's a great film. I can... I make so many jokes about any film over two hours should be a TV show. And I'm like, okay, Giant is one of those films that's beautiful and yeah. worth the time but you have to set aside an entire day it feels like yeah um having if we're gonna um just briefly mention overly long movies having watched um Zack Snyder's Justice League and Dances with Wolves I know that how that feels oh I here's a funny story another side tangent I had horrible food poisoning the weekend Zack Snyder's Justice League came out and I was supposed to record a podcast and didn't. And instead of that, I slept in bed all day and then put on Zack Snyder's Justice League and it was just sick for however long that movie was. And I'm like, well, that's the only real way to watch it whenever I'm at my very lowest. Uh, So sick. And then I don't remember any of the movie. uh, (laughs) I think it's good. Um, but just sharing my thoughts, I think it's good. I, um, it does exactly what it sets out to do. And yeah, I think the characters, um, are actually pretty well developed for the most part. Nice. I remember the Amazon fight in the first half hour, and I really liked that before I passed out and got sick again. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't sound fun. It no, I was a disaster. Mm. Um, we want to get back to um the apartments. Um, just ah, sharing my yes. general thoughts. Um, what really struck me on rewatch was just how cruel and predatory the bosses were, and just how cold and clinical they viewed Bud Baxter. Like the line, what should, why should we do anything for him? What if what has he done for us? It's like 
he literally rents out his apartment for to let you cheat on your wives. Like And he does it for free. He's getting nothing in return. Yes. And But I feel like that is also true male behavior especially in that time where you just take advantage of people we still see it now with this whole rise of me too and all the horrible things that we're seeing in hollywood you're like oh yeah i believe that a man in a position of power would be trash yeah absolutely it is true to life and as someone who um i wouldn't call myself super over overly informed on that sort of culture um but i um i did become familiar with the sort of harvey weinstein stories and recently scott rudin um everything going on with him and this step um the bosses in the apartment definitely ring a bell in this modern era for sure. Like, I did, I try to familiarize myself with everything. I read all the Scott Rudin stuff that recently came out. And just like reading that after recently watching The Apartment, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm not surprised at all. These men, they're awful. But no, we don't have to continue on that because yeah. The Apartment uh, is lovely. Yes, it's a great movie. Um, I think pretty much every aspect about it works. Um, I would agree. If we want to talk more about Fran Kubelik, um, again, as you pointed out, they don't try to um, demonize her. They recognize, again, it's Sheldrake who is doing this. It's Sheldrake who's setting her up and ditches her. And she actually gets um, a lot of agency and the choice to quit Sheldrake because frankly, he doesn't deserve her. And the happy ending at the end actually feels earned. It really does. It's quite beautiful because you have the horrible boss just stringing her along over and over and over. And you just, your heart breaks every single time she goes back to him because you're like, no, we want you to be happy. And even Jack Lemmon's character, in the beginning and stuff, you see him being taken advantage of, but he has this crush on Shirley MacLaine, and you see him, and even with his crush, he's a little self-centered about it, and it's not until something horrible happens to her that he actually starts learning a little bit more about her and caring about her, and instead of being in love with the idea of her like he is at the beginning of the film it's at the end of the film you see he's actually in love with who she is as a person and all of her mess and flaws and actually has taken her off of this pedestal and i really appreciate that about the film it's amazing that that came out in 1960. yeah it is quite amazing um if we want to talk about um um, that scene you were referencing where um, Frank Kubelik attempts suicide mm-hmm. after which and Jack Lemmon as Bud Baxter um, he enlists Dr. Dreyfus played by Jack Crucian to save her yeah 
and right near the end of that scene, um, I especially, um, it's a quote that, um, no, it's a line that always sticks with me, where Dr. Dreyfus reprimands Bud for just not realizing how he affects other people. He tells them that he needs to start being a mensch, a human being, and it's a great line. Um, great um dialogue. And for um Jack Crucian delivers the line um with a great um sense of almost a strict paternal authority or he clearly sees the good in Bud, but he also sees that Bud needs to act more on it instead of just being so passive all the time. Yeah, I would agree. It's a pretty great line, and the Doctor, he does kind of function as a moral center because he's consistently, like, basically judging his neighbor, and I think he like Jack Lemon deserves some of this judgment because it makes him grow up and become less self-centered as you see in the end and actually be a little bit more accountable and make him the gentleman by the end that you like is somebody worth rooting for. Definitely. Um, but yeah. So we want to talk more about um the turning points. Yes, the turning points. So this film is so hard to find. Um, thank you, Ronaldo Sosa, for getting me the link because I have not watched this film in a long time and I could not find the DVD or a legit means of streaming it anywhere. But again, so my, my fun fact about this is that... Uh, this could have been a reunion of Shirley MacLaine and Audrey Hepburn, but um, Audrey Hepburn turned it down because she was living in Europe at the time, and she did not want to have to relocate away from her young children to make the film, so it went to Anne Bancroft instead. And Audrey Hepburn said, oh, this is the only one I regret turning down because Audrey Hepburn was a dancer and she had a good working relationship with Shirley MacLaine. And... The Turning Point is such a me movie. I love it. I love complicated female friendship films. What did you think of this? I think it's very good. Um, I think the complicated relationship at the center is what sells the movie. Um, it, <clears throat> it is very melodramatic, but I think I think it handles the melodrama quite well. And it doesn't feel forced um, in how it minds its emotions. It does feel authentic in that sense. Mm -hmm. No, I and, definitely agree with you on this. Um, specifically with Shirley MacLaine's character, Dee Dee Rogers. I think it's another um, showcase for her inherent spunkiness and just how it, 
um, expressive a performer she can she is. And oh, for sure. How she's also really good at portraying internalized emotional conflict. Mm-hmm. And I love her chemistry with Anne Bancroft. It um you mentioned Audrey Hepburn. This reminds me a lot of um what Shirley had with Audrey in the Children's Hour. But I do think they um. I don't think it's just another replication of that dynamic. There's something different done here between mm-hmm. Shirley and Anne. For sure. You know, I really love the dynamic and it, it does like kind of harken back a little bit to the children's hour because Shirley MacLaine, like throughout her whole career, she's worked with a lot of different female co-stars. And that's usually when I like her the most is whenever she has somebody at her level who can go toe to toe with her. And Anne Bancroft is beautiful and wonderful. I love her as well. There's so many great actresses that she's worked with Shirley and just that dynamic of I believe I can believe that they were friends for so long and that they would have this kind of messy relationship growing up and would go their own ways and come back together in different ways. Definitely. Um, what I especially like about this movie is the sort of questions it raises about um, um, the sort of paths and careers that women are pressured to choose and it doesn't judge any of its um characters for the choices they make and by the end of the film um dd has come to terms with um the fact that she left her ballet to, uh, ballet career to start a family and um whatever mixed feelings she has on that is the path she took and she sees um, the positive in that. It's not all negative. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think it is difficult because the film, it essentially is about these two women that like start in a ballet company together. And then of course, Shirley MacLaine, she gets pregnant and Bancroft continues, becomes the prima ballerina. And then later on, that's when their lives come back together and you get to see like the two paths that could have been taken. And your heart breaks a little bit because that was Shirley MacLaine's dream, like being a ballerina and life just derailed. But you also get to see what Anne Bancroft loses out on whenever she chooses a career over family. And that is something women are always forced to choose between is a career or family or what are we going to do especially in sports and like being a ballerina is such intense training like you can't do anything and a pregnancy it really does end a career because it takes you out of commission for over a year um yeah I can only wonder what that must be like but I did enjoy the turning point for all the um, reasons that we mentioned. I did too. I think- and I think it's funny that Shirley MacLaine was kind of a surprise Oscar nominee if you looked at any of the precursors. She didn't so, get into any precursors. He didn't get into anything. Anne Bancroft got into a lot of stuff. Diane Keaton won the Oscar. Jane Fonda won the Golden, Golden Globe. Globe. For, uh, 
funnily enough, she was in the film Julia, which as the character Lillian Hellman, and Lillian Hellman wrote The Children's Hour. So mm-hmm. I always, so I'll many circle back. Full circle. Yeah. Um, other Best Actress nominees, Jane Fonda and Marsha Mason are the ones I haven't seen yet. Um, so I actually really like Julia. It's a pretty good film, The Goodbye Girl. Um, I'm always torn whether Marsha Mason is lead or supporting in that. I know the kid in the film was nominated for supporting actress as well. And I honestly like the kid more than Marsha Mason. Marsha Mason's fine, but... Oh no, the Goodbye Girl is still worth seeing because there's some really great performances and it is a different kind of film. So, but yeah, Julia, I like Julia. It's again something that is just my interest right there. I'm a big Lillian Hellman fan though. Julia is one that I'm interested to see because it's Fred Zinnemann and yep. the cast. And also Alvin Sargent. Julia, it's got such a good pedigree behind it. Fred Zinnemann, most people probably know him from, what is it, uh, From Here to Eternity? Yeah, that's the title. And then he's done so many things like High Noon, Oklahoma. What's the other one? The Nun Story with Audrey Hepburn. Again, another personal favorite of mine. So it's just, it's a filmmaker that I've liked in a lot of things doing something really good with a great actress. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out. Um, so next up on my list is Being There, a Hal Ashby film about, um, basically about a man who, um, a gardener for a wealthy man who dies, after that wealthy man dies, um, he's kicked out of the house and he just wanders around doing nothing, basically falling upward, and eventually he becomes a national sensation. Um, I found it um, often funny, but I'm not sure how well it hit, um, how well it um, managed its satirical elements. Sometimes I wasn't quite sure if it was being self-aware or just taking things straight but it is funny um for most of the it is very funny for most of the time yeah i mean it's based off a like a fairly popular ish book and it's a pretty simple film i don't really have any issues like major issues with it i've not watched this film in a very long time but I don't know. I think every Hal Ashby is worth checking out at the very least. If he is your thing, if you've seen one Hal Ashby and you like it, I would recommend watching another. But I don't know. I think she's fine in the film. It just doesn't feel like her film in any way. Um, it's certainly um, first and foremost, no, first and foremost, the showcase for Peter Sellers, but um. I would argue even though her part isn't that big, she does make what she can out of it. I do like the sort of anxiety she brings to the role. Mm-hmm. And her um, 
trajectory to just being more open about basically her crush on Chauncey, which leads to this weird yet oddly funny scene where she starts masturbating as some television shows on. Not sure what show it is. Yeah. Like she always like does she always elevates the material, I think, even in very bad movies, which we might not discuss a lot of the bad movies, but I do think she always manages to rise above whatever she's in. She's just one of those performers that can come in and just steal everything that she's doing. Absolutely. Um so next we have terms of endearments. Yes. You mentioned that you wanted to talk about this. Have a lot of things to say about it. Yes. So, I mean, I love Terms of Endearment so much. I'm one of those people, like, I am into everything it is doing. Um, I maybe probably wouldn't have given, like, Jack Nicholson an Oscar for it and stuff, but I think he's still very good in it. And I just, I'm a sucker for mother-daughter stories where they are literally arguing like cats and dogs in one minute and in the same conversation, they just flip a switch. Like every mother-daughter film, I like sense this one owes so much to Terms of Endearment because it is the most complicated female story and it's just beautiful, I think. I'm just going to keep shouting beautiful at it. I love it so much. I'm such a Deborah Winger fan. Although I feel bad because I, Shirley MacLaine is one of those people who deserves an Oscar. She won her Oscar for Terms of Endearment. I understand why she won. It's a great win. One of the better ones of the 80s. But I still would have awarded Deborah Winger above her because Deborah Winger just breaks my heart. And I feel like she has more complicated emotions that she has to navigate even though Charlotte McLean is having so much fun in this film up until the very yeah. end. McLean definitely has the showier part but I um I definitely appreciate um the sort of stability that Deborah Winger brings to her role and basically how she has to mother her own mother in the movie. Yeah, like, I think the opening scene of the film where Charlie McLean is checking on the baby and is just so anxious and worried about the baby in the crib, the baby who grows up to be Deborah Winger, and, like, wakes up the baby because she thinks the baby is tied because she's so anxious, tells you everything you need to know about this very tightly wound, anxious woman, and just how she's going to go throughout life. Like she's so stubborn and does some very hurtful things. But in the end, like she's going to be there for her daughter and do whatever she needs to do. And whenever she slaps, like they're leaving the hospital and she slaps the oldest son of Deborah Winger because he says something disparaging about his mom. And I'm like, yeah, that kid deserved it because he was being such a jerk. And Charlie McLean's just like she slaps him and says don't don't say things bad things about your mother to me that's not the exact quote but I don't know I think everyone should just go watch that and see the master class of tone and 
how you navigate being family. Yeah. Um, agree with all those things. I love how it the movie just right over the gate, you understand the dynamics of each of the characters and their relationships. Um Aurora and um Emma have this very turbulent relationship where they love each other but they clash a lot because their personalities are and interests are just such that way. Um Jack Nicholson as Garrett Breedlove, he is a womanizer. Um past his prime of a retired astronaut. Um just trying to um chase down old glory. And while I have mixed feelings on the sort of Jack Nicholson persona, um for example, I um don't think he's that great as good as it gets. I think he's good I think he's great here because it puts a twist on that sort of Nicholson persona and adds depth and nuance to it. And um I also really liked John Lithgow's character, Sam Burns. Um it's a small part, but you can tell he's just going to be I there. I really like John Lithgow as well. He's really good. Jack Nicholson, I go, there's some scenes where I think it really works, this late in life sexual awakening for Charlie McLean and him, their little relationship, but then other scenes I feel like it's just Jack Nicholson being a weird, creepy method actor because he actually does, like, he didn't coordinate with Shirley McLean, him putting his hands down her clothes. Oh, yeah, that. And that was an improvised uh, moment. And it's just really creepy and awful. And she should not have had to deal with that. Yeah, that's not great. That's no. not good. So that's I don't know. Pretty- I, his shtick, it gets old real quick for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, if um, his shtick is well utilized and there's something more to it, then it's good. Uh, then that's good. Um, but I like Jack Nicholson the best when he's not just doing his usual shtick when, because he can bring a lot of, um, he, at his best, he brings just this one-of-a-kind energy to his performances. I especially liked him in About Schmidt, where he just alienates everyone around him and in his quest to find purpose. Um, not to go off too much of a tangent, but I'll just say the ending really got me. Yeah, I think he does a good job at the very end. I have not watched the sequel to this film where him and Shirley MacLaine return in varying degrees of stardom. It's one of those, Uh-oh. I know the sequel is bad to this film, but I, I just want to preserve the memory of liking this film and not ruining the characters. Haven't seen it either. Have not seen The Evening Star. I've um, not. I've listened to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast episode about it, though, yeah. and it makes me not want to li- watch it at all. Yeah, we can just skip that one. 
Um, if we want to talk about more about the older kid, there were times where I just wanted to slap him and scream at him. There are, but it's like he's such a frustrating character, but also that is a young boy who is being rebellious and does not understand that his parents are having problems because when your parents are having problems, you always blame the parents that you see more because you think they're pushing the other one that you don't see there away. So I completely understand the family dynamic of why that kid would be such an awful brat. And I think Definitely. it's very well acted, but also the kid is so frustrating because you just wish he understood why his mother was doing what she did and the sacrifices she was making. Yeah. Especially when she was dying, he she he couldn't show any warmth to her, but I at least understood, even if I just wanted to slap some sense into him still. Mm-hmm. But it is very believable. Yeah. Um. And um. One thing I want to talk about, um, I call it the Emma's pain shot scene, where the nurses are basically neglecting how it's time for um, Emma's shot of morphine, I think it is, and Aurora has to um, basically um, shout at them until they actually do it, and it's so... It's so passionately performed that it's kind of hard to watch out out of context. I kind of need to watch the whole scene, but it is a testament to um, just great acting. It really is, because it's not like the nurses are so much neglecting. It's just like, oh, it's 11 o'clock. The nurse has to like get ready, start making her rounds. It's not going to be exactly there. But this mother, she's so protective of her daughter and just wants her to not feel any pain or anything. And she snaps and loses it because she's pretty much held herself together for so long. And you can only hold yourself together again for so long before you snap and you completely understand and you feel for her, even though she probably like doesn't need to do that, but it makes for a great film. Yeah, definitely does. Um, if we want to talk about the Oscar nominations it got, um, I'm, um, that sound nomination um, I was just, it is funny to me that it got a sound nomination. <laughs> you know what? I'm okay with it because I make, I. I make a lot of documentary and short films and I've done a bunch of narrative feature stuff and television and people don't realize how complicated sound is. Most people think it's just Transformers or Avatar, a lot of loud noises and banging, but there's a lot of things that are shot outdoors. Um, there are scenes shot at a beach with a car zooming on through and stuff. So sound is a lot. And I am perfectly fine with the best sound nomination it got because there are a lot of complicated things they had to do, like recording wise and editing and layering. And so I'm perfectly fine with the nomination there. It makes for a good story too. 
Like it was that yeah. loved by everybody, even the sound yeah. band loved it. Yeah, I agree on all those things. I do um I do agree that it's easy to take for granted just how difficult sound design and sound mixing is. It's not just your run-of-the-mill action movie or musical. Um, just capturing little moments, little intricacies, like, I don't know, birds chirping, trees bristling in the wind. I think The Sound of Metal, or um, even beyond um, the basic concept of him losing his hearing and how they manage that. Um, even just um, a scene of him trying to enjoy um, a walk around block or something. There's just so much going on in the sound that you don't notice at first glance. Yeah, but, and there's a lot of stuff that goes into the technical things that like prognosticators and bloggers, unless you've made a film, you don't realize how difficult everything is and like all those little layers that you have to go through. And so I always appreciate when the sound categories have something a little more interesting in them that you weren't expecting. Definitely. Um, I also wonder how close the film was to getting a cinematography nomination because this was an era where like Kramer versus Kramer could get a nomination, um, which I wouldn't say is undeserved, but it is um, I'm not, I don't know. I'm very torn to say if it would or not because I think there are other films maybe ahead of it and stuff like but I think I would have been fine with it getting a cinematography nomination it looks great but I think there are other films that maybe should have been ahead of it in that regard like even something like I know that well, I think is a much better shot in any way. It's doing something a slightly more complicated, but oh no, it it would not be a bad nominee by any means. Absolutely not. It would have been a good nominee. Um, so yeah, I think this would be on the um, in terms of essential McLean movies. I think this is near the top. For Three. sure. It's one of those great, again, great performances by a movie star in the correct movie in the right role. And even though I would have voted for Deborah Winger, I think Shirley MacLaine is easily an incredible winner in this category. Yeah. My favorite lineup was actually Meryl Streep for Silkwood. Oh, I love Silkwood. Like, Again, yeah. we're getting into like an all-timer category because yeah, I is, love uh, Silkwood way too much. Like it is one of my favorite films. And yeah. also, it's also a Julie Walters and educating Rita. I just love Julie Walters across the board. So we're getting a lot of really good actressing yeah. this year. I actually have Julie Walters in fifth, but that's only because the lineup is so strong. She's great too. Oh yeah, it's I one of those it. like, oh yeah, she's great, of course, but... No, it's like I have Deborah Winger first and then probably like Meryl and then Shirley, but it's like any of them could have won and I'm going to be happy. I'm not going to. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like this year's best actor race aside from Gary Oldman. Oh yeah. No, everyone else is great. And then we have Gary Oldman. Yeah. It's like 
if you replace him with Delroy Lindo or Mads Mikkelsen, then... Oh, Delroy Lindo, and it would have been the greatest Best Actor category yes. of all time. I'm Back so mad that... Notoriously De- horrible. Yeah. I'm still mad that The Five Bloods got passed over so brutally. And, like, Mank was a big nomination leader for Netflix, and it's like, you had The Five Bloods. Why didn't you just go all the I way know. with that? It's just criminal, and I think it's... Again, side tangent, we'll talk about Oscars more later. It's just because Mank yeah. is very easy and friendly and it's not challenging you at all. Not and Five Bloods is actively challenging you politically and visually and everything. And so I'm not surprised. Neither am I. It's just still mad about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Forever mad. So, um... The last film on my list that I um, want to talk about is Postcards from the Edge. Or oh, I love this film. When I talk about my favorite Merrill films, oh, I love Postcards from the Edge. I have a Carrie Fisher quote tattooed on my body. And it was from the time that her and Merrill were making Postcards from the Edge. So if people go quote? follow me on Twitter, I will tweet the photo of the tattoo, but no, I love it. I will tweet a photo. Everyone go follow and give All right. it Yeah, go follow her. <laughs> um, yes. Postcards from the Edge. What's your experience watching this? Because I love this film and the book. I haven't read the book, but the movie's great. Um, it is a very tricky balance, the tone and the subject matter, because this is very personal and I have to imagine traumatizing for Carrie Fisher, but she does make um, her effort to see the best possible outcome in this situation believable. And I um, have thoughts on the sort of mother-daughter relationship. If there's one area where I'm um I've kind of mixed feelings well, mixed thoughts on it it's um or um spoiler alerts um after um Dor- Doris has her um car accident they um have sort of conversation about um their relationship and I guess you could say that's sort of a bit too pat, but I think the writing is smart enough to make it just work. And the actors give such incredible performances that, again, it works. It just does. And yeah, this is um, a great movie. Great performances from both Meryl and Shirley. And Shirley definitely deserves an Oscar nomination, and I'm surprised that she didn't receive one. Yeah, this is one of those Oscar years that upsets me. I tweeted about this after I watched it, that um, the Academy expects me to believe that Dances with Wolves was the best adapted screenplay of that year, uh, and Postcards from the Edge was right there. Not over Postcards, especially not over Goodfellas. Especially not over Goodfellas, especially not Postcards, and... Again, a lo- this is tri- tricky subject matter because it's thinly veiled autobiography of Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds, who 
notoriously did have a complicated mother-daughter relationship. Carrie Fisher did tragically pass away from a drug overdose, something she struggled with her whole life, but she also had a really great sense of humor about everything she was going through in her life. And that's why I love and adore her and tattooed her onto my body. And this film, I think, is very ahead of its time in many regards because it was taking that paparazzi like aspect of acting and everything and really challenging you and pulling the curtain. And I don't think a lot of people were ready to see Debbie Reynolds, like a Debbie Reynolds cipher in a way, painted as a not great mother. And, yeah. And it is funny because Debbie Reynolds wanted this part in the film and Mike Nichols pretty much told her no and people can go figure out why but I do love this story I think it is hard to talk about things but like addiction and everything but Carrie Fisher was able to do it in a way that is also hilarious and she was able to make a lifelong friend out of Meryl Streep out of it so I don't know this is one of my favorite movies I think this could have been a better Meryl win than some of her wins. And Shirley MacLaine easily should have been nominated. I need to see who was nominated that year so I can be righteously angry at whoever seen, um, stole her spot. I've seen Mary McDonald. I've seen Lauren Bracco. Um, I don't think I've seen the other three. Um, if I want to share my brief thoughts on Dance with Wolves, I do um, like it, but... I think um, it has issues with its writing and it does not need to be three hours long. Absolutely it's, not. It definitely um, also the narr- um, Kevin Costner's narration, what was he? Did he just not give a shit there? Sorry for sparring. It's just <laughs> um, it's like what went on with the narration? Hmm. I just, I think in the case of Dances with Wolves, it's a very indulgent actor-director film, much like Reds in the 80s was a pretty indulgent actor-director film that is a three-hour film and probably could have been trimmed down a lot, but I don't know. As for supporting actress, I am not going to be the criminal that steals Whoopi Goldberg's Oscar for Ghost because I don't think the movie Ghost is particularly good, but I think Whoopi Goldberg is amazing, and I love that she won an Oscar for that. She should have won for The Color Purple. I will come at people for that. I'm sorry, Geraldine Page. And then I'm not going to steal Annette Annette Bening or Lorraine Bracco's Oscar. So, And I love Diane Ladd, so I'm sorry, Mary McDonnell. I like you in a lot of things, but I would kick you out of here and put Shirley MacLaine I like Mary McDonald a lot, but I do not like Dances with Wolves, and so. I think Mary um, does what the part asks of her. Um, it's not much, but. Um, she for sure again, does I the need, assignment, but. Um, I need I to see the other nominees, but um, having watched the movie, it just kind of feels like they um, had the sort of narrative of oh, we love this, um, how cool that this actor is doing all these sorts of things, um, producing, directing, let's just give him everything. Um, and you compare this to Red's, um, 
I actually like Rez a lot. I think it's um I think it's a great telling of this um the sort of time and history that it's covering. Um and the technical aspects are all beautiful. Mm-hmm. I like and the last two hours of Reds. I don't. I'm not into the first hour, but I like the last two hours of it. Yeah. Um, and similarly, Dance with Wolves looks incredible, and I love John Barry's score. Yeah, I just oh. wish Shirley could have got in there because she was nominated yeah, for the Globe and Supporting Actress, and then actually she was nominated for Lead Actress at BAFTA. But, you know, um, BAFTA was probably still doing that thing where, like... BAFTA was still disconnected from the Oscars at the time. They had it was, and I kind of love that they they were disconnected and that they've gone back to being yeah. a little more disconnected. But also, the categories yeah. of it all were very movie stars in leading categories yeah. and not character actors and supporting. But I'm glad yeah. Shirley got at least a Globe nomination where she should have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking back to when, um, BAFTA awarded movies like Jean de Florette and Cinema Paradiso, um, Cinema Paradiso, I, I don't know how you pronounce that, and All About My Mother, and I just I think they really when... peaked with All About My Mother. I think yeah. they really peaked. And also Mulholland Drive for editing. Yeah. I just miss those sort of, we're just doing our own thing, cool choices from BAFTAs. Um, True. So, yeah, that's the, um, um, that's the last on my list of films from Shirley MacLaine I wanted to talk about. I will I think plug one more. Okay. Um, just everyone go check out the it came out about 15 years ago, 16 years ago. It's like 2005 film In Her Shoes. In Her Shoes? Yep. Curtis Hansen. If we want to talk about that one, we can do that. Yes. So I just want to do a quick plug of it. I adore this film. I think Cameron Diaz and Tony Collette are wonderful as sisters. And that Shirley MacLaine, the, really, the dynamic she has with um, her granddaughter is just so funny. And it's just a breath of fresh air. Everyone go watch In Her Shoes if you just want to have a really good time. I probably would nominate Tony Collette for an Oscar because that's just what I like to do. I'm an agent of chaos sometimes. And so, yeah. yes, I do love the characters of Rose and Ella and Maggie. I think that's just wonderful. Yeah, I enjoyed the movie too. I did find it a bit too long, but I enjoyed the characters. and. That's, That's fair. It is over it's two hours, comedy. and it has no right being over two hours. Yeah. 130 minutes. Yeah. But I still but, love it, uh, and I highly recommend it, especially for Shirley MacLaine fans, and if you have not checked it out yet. Yeah. Definitely. I would recommend it, too. Um, so, yeah. Um, those are all the films from her that I really wanted to talk about. Um, I think she's an incredible actress. She's so charismatic. She's so expressive. And she's very persuasive. And so many other adjectives I could use to describe her. But bottom line is that she's wonderful. 
I agree. She's just one of those actresses that I feel like I've always known about, like ever since I was very, very tiny person, like a baby. Like, I don't know. I feel like she's always been in my life. She's always there. She's a constant. These days, she just shows up randomly in TV shows and movies. Like, she was in this the Disney Plus film, Noel, which is not a good movie, and a mm. tad beneath her. But you know what? I still watched it with my nephew, who was, like, four, and he had a lovely time, and now he knows who Shirley MacLaine is. So, which is Shirley MacLaine, you are wonderful. Let's get you more yeah. better roles. Yeah. So, um... If we want to wrap up by talking about Oscar predictions, um, just briefly, um, we'll talk about some, uh, we'll just talk about ones that are a bit more up in the air because I think it's written in stone. I think we can agree it's sort of written in stone that Nomadland is going to win picture, director, and um, cinematography, possibly other prizes. Which um, I feel like, yes, Nomadland is kind of steamrolling this Oscar season, but I do find it hilarious that a film like Nomadland is this juggernaut whenever it is a very lovely, quiet, contemplative film that is not in your face about a lot of things and just makes you sit with your emotions. And I'm like, oh, you're the juggernaut of the season. Normally it is like a trial of the Chicago 7 that would be more like that or something I just find it hilarious that this lovely little film is just chugging along and for the most part most people are pretty happy with it are fine with it don't have major problems I know there's like internet controversy but I yeah that's just made up bullshit it's just bad campaigning from stuff and it's in very bad faith this whole Amazon's thing especially whenever you look at other films that are distributed by amazon like sound of metal or one night in miami and you're like oh so yeah. you're questioning nomadland but and saying some pretty horrible personal attacks on chloe Zhao, but you're yeah. not questioning these other things so it's a lot of bad faith arguments i do think if you do have problems with nomadland and its amazon aspects i think that is perfectly valid everybody is entitled to their own opinion do not attack yeah. do not do personal attacks on an Asian woman, especially in this cultural climate, that is not okay. You are a bad person if you are attacking people personally. You can question the politics of something without being a jerk. Yeah, stop Asian hate. Just stop Asian hate. We've had enough of it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't even, where did they get this um, Zhao's father is a billionaire thing from? It a lot of that is just the internet and I I don't know. Yes, she does come from somewhat wealthier means. Her stepmother was an actress and everything, but also you have to think about an Asian woman contending with her Chinese identity and living in America and making that her home. And I think that is a very personal thing she is dealing with. And identity is hard for everybody. So I don't think people on the internet and bloggers or people on the bird app have any right to criticize or question her whenever she's probably dealing with that personally. It's none of our business. And I don't think people need to be just being, sorry to say a bad word, assholes about it because that's what they're being. Just because they might 
their favorite film is not winning best picture that is the oscar stuff that is really exhausting myself and my cinema gals yes. host morgan we are so over a lot of this oscar yeah. discourse we just like movies we want to talk about movies unless it's something completely horrible yeah. and harmful like a green book winning stuff we're generally pretty fine most things yeah. are actually pretty good this year yeah um you just mentioned green book and i'm just reliving the horror of having to watch bohemian rhapsody well, not having to but i just did because i felt like it and i regret that that is time lost yeah it's like rami malik in freddie mercury cosplay because that's what it is it's cosplay yeah that was not the best oscar year like there was so much hope with a handful of nominees and then there's like three films nominated for best picture that year that did pretty well and you're like yeah we're gonna write this oscar year off Ugh. yeah so um speaking of contentious discourse do we want to talk about best actor um do we both um <laughs> do we both agree that chadwick boseman is um the front runner hope so again the internet discourse is exhausting i have muted so many of these terms and phrases and films from my timeline because people are being uh, awful like it's okay that a man with an oscar isn't gonna win a second one because another great performance from a performer who can't give you another performance might win it's okay yeah i mean anthony hopkins has an oscar for one of my favorite films yeah it's okay if Chadwick Boseman wins for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's a great he performance. It. He would deserve yeah. it. Again, all of and these are very deserving except for Gary Oldman. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm even willing to say that Chadwick may have been a front runner even if he was still alive because it's the type of oh, performance. I, he completely would be. Like, it's just yeah. one of those undeniable performances and he, he leaves it all out there. I think it's a great performance. Yeah. And yeah, I'm happy it with it winning. It'd be one of the better ones of the last couple decades because it's just yeah. it's such a grim category. For best actor, so many bog standard biopic performances winning. Yeah, uh, like I do not like a biopic. I am notoriously biopic adverse, so I would love if Chadwick I mean, won. Like I think he would be so deserved. I will cry the whole time. It's fine. Only if the biopic's interesting and just, yeah, only if the biopic is actually trying to do something different. Yeah, most of them aren't. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, it seems like Bozeman is probably going to win. So, I might say that there's maybe a chance for Hopkins after his BAFTA win, but not a whole lot. I just feel like Bozeman's I'm not putting a lot of thought into that just because BAFTA, they did their juried stuff and they always, like, generally they favor British stuff anyways. But this is also Hopkins' first win for anything, really. It's not an Olivia Coleman situation because Olivia Coleman got a Golden Globe. She won, I'm pretty sure she got a Critics' Choice but also she won a um, ton of critics awards. Yes. So and um 
it's not comparable, especially since BAFTA did a lot of juried stuff this year and then and also entirely and they're trying to be their own thing. And I'm cool with that. Yeah. And also Glenn Close was the only nomination for the wife and Ma Rainey did underperform, but it still has five, five nominations. And I think it could win like three or four of them. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. If we want to briefly go in, we'll talk about costumes and makeup just a bit later, but yeah. Um, we want to move on to the best actress because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who knows what to do with this. So Morgan and I have been saying all year that every actress is going to win something different. So Viola got the SAG, Andre Day got Globe, Francis got BAFTA, Carrie got Critics' Choice. So Vanessa Kirby is going to win the Oscar. That is my only solution to all of this, that everybody gets something. It's like Mean Girls. We broke the crown up. Um, I'm not sure about Vanessa Kirby. Um, If we want to compare her to Marsha Gay Harden. Um, no, th- that does not compare at all because Marsha uh, Gay only got New York's film critics circle ahead of time and yeah. Vanessa Kirby showed up everywhere beforehand. And still couldn't win anything. And I was going to say, um, Pollock also had a Best Actor nomination for Ed Harris. So um, there was a bit more support there. Um, whereas Vanessa is her film's only nomination. Um, um, that's like not unheard of it's like yeah. julianne moore was the only nomination for her film when she won so i mean i do think it might be somebody else i think it could be francis mcdormand honestly because she's oh. in the front-running film and like she gives probably the most francis mcdormand performance you could ever hope for so Again, I would be happy with any of them winning. I am perfectly fine with it. The discourse of best actress, I have muted every single person nominated in this category's name and their film because people on the Bird app are being too much. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm predicting Carrie Mulligan just because looking through everything, I just feel like this is the role that is... um, just i just feel like this role it's i don't know it's just feels like the right sort of role in a year as crazy as this and also she's campaigning really well she's doing everything she needs to do on that front and the other actresses um viola davis is sag but i'm not sure ma rainey is going to win two acting awards when it couldn't get a best picture nomination um, to say we'll never know because hey okay, yeah, it's a weird oscar year sag and bafta um, actually have oscar voters and yes, critics definitely. choice doesn't and neither does globe so we shall see yeah either way i'm happy with any of them winning it'd be great definitely. and the discourse um, people need to calm down yeah so adapted screenplay I have to bother winning, but I would not be surprised if Nomadland just takes this. I wouldn't be shocked. I think it, like, Nomadland feels like it could be the right one. The father, if they want us honor it somewhere, it could be here. But also, if they want to honor something, they could honor Borat as well. Because that mm-hmm. film, the way it came together and how it was written and made is pretty impressive. I am notoriously not, a, I've 
refused to watch the first Borat and I've only watched scenes and handful of things from this other one but I have a copy of the Borat screenplay and it's really well written but I am team um, Nomadland in the end yeah um so um um just looking at the other categories um we'll just talk about um the few ones that are up in the air because a lot of these seem pretty sewn up um what do you think is winning film editing i um i still have to try with chicago 7 but if it doesn't win a steady i'll switch to sound of metal that one's tough. I think it could be between Sound of Metal or Nomadland. I think, I'm not sure why people think Trial of the Chicago 7 is going to win. I'm an editor by trade, like part of my day job, one of them. And it's not a well-edited film by any means. The Sound of Metal is probably the most technically well-edited. I think the most seamlessly edited, it's probably like Nomadland or The Father and the flashiest is promising young woman but again oh. this, it, it's a pretty good category Chicago 7 aside I think Sound of Metal could take it though because it is such a technical feat in that regard but I'm cheering for um, Nomadland well first off um, I'll admit I do like Chicago 7 more than a lot of people I know it has problems but I think it mostly works for what it is and i um i think that people um were predicting chicago 7 for editing because um it is very flashy editing with um with interweaving storylines and the golden rule with this category is that the most editing wins and that could very well be um chicago 7's path I think I always think back to the riot scenes and and I was thinking that alone will win it editing back in October when I first watched it. And and my biggest concern with Sound of Metal is that the editing itself is not that flashy, but um maybe it's just time for a non-flashy editing winner. Who knows? No, no, it's a very technically flashy one in that regard. Chicago 7 is just very loud in its story, and I think people think that means it's loud in its editing, like very flashy and technical, but it's very down the line for what it is doing, actually. I think the most complicated editing is The Father because of how the film is told. Absolutely. And that is actually like a very seamless nightmare of a film if you think about it. So I think The Father would be the most interesting win in this. I think Nomadland is the most seamless across the board. It doesn't distract you, but it it really could go to any film and I would not be surprised. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, um, like I said, Aceti will clear things up for us. Um, so original song, um, I have Speak Now winning, but Rusevic could take this, IOC scene could take this, because Diane Warren is overdue. I'm not sure Diane Warren is gonna win, I'll be happy if she does, but um, I will say, 
Husevik might be my favorite Academy Award nominee ever of any category. It is yeah, a, a beautiful song. song. It's not an end credit song. It actually is important to the story. It's a good song. It'd be a great performance. All these other ones, like it's the giant joke, speak now, hear my voice, fight for you. You could, li- that's literally just random phrases. They could go to any of these films and you would not notice the difference at all. Yeah. Hootsavik is actually important. And then, then the Diane Warren song is my second favorite, but we'll see. Don't, don't Leslie Odom much. Jr. could win an Oscar for this. It'd be kind of disappointing because yeah. he's a better actor than what this song represents. But again, we'll see. It's like Husevik is a great nominee, and then the rest are kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about the song category. Um, none of them, um, only Husevik really stuck with me, um, to be honest. Um, no, I love Husevik. I think Eurovision, it's a little too long of a film, but it is so much fun. I think Yaya Ding Dong should have honestly been our real winner. But no, I just want them to get up there and do the performance and then somebody in the crowd just shout, play Ya Ya Ding Dong. Huh. Um, so I think that's it for what I wanted to talk about. Again, I am so glad that I had you on here to talk with me about all these things. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Welcome. So, um... If you want to find me on social media, um, I just have Twitter at the moment that I'm currently using. My username is Gabe the Joker. Uh, well, that's what you can find me under at least. I'm just going by my regular name, Gabe Warren. And I will see you for when this podcast officially takes off, which should be soon. Again, thank you all for listening.